Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Ja and Adam Brewer. Welcome to this week's episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. I'm Adam, your co-host. This week, we have a special guest, Howard Friedman, who is with Ascent, and we're going to talk about educating defenders. I actually met Howard many, many years ago, and it's a funny story because we have a common friend named Josh Gingras who introduced us. We were up in Minnesota. I was there for a meeting for Microsoft, and I was brand new. And Josh says, hey, 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 you got to come over and meet this guy. He's a guy you need to know. So he comes over, introduces me to Howard. I have no idea who Howard is. He's like, he's this really important guy. And Josh is like, yeah, meet my buddy Andy. He just started here. And turns out Howard was with a partner, Ascent. And I didn't know anything about partners or what they did or how they can help in IT and IT security and all that. So maybe there are folks out there like me back then that I didn't understand what partners are and what they can bring. And so we're bringing Howard in today because he's an expert on partners because he's been working for Ascent for many, many years. So Howard, can you tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience and how you got into all this? Absolutely. And first off, I'd like to say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. For those who don't know, I, I do remember meeting Andy as well with Josh, but I've had the good fortune of working with Andy and Adam for quite a few years. And so being invited on the podcast is an honor. I, I really appreciate it. So just a little bit of my background. Currently, I'm the Senior Managing Director for Strategic alliances here at Ascent Solutions. I've been here for about nine years. In fact, it'll be nine years, boy, in about two or three weeks now that I think about it. I've had many roles throughout, but most of the time, if not all the time now that I think about it, I've had something to do with our relationship with Microsoft and with other strategic alliances that have come and gone along the way. Microsoft has been pretty steady the whole time. Just real quickly, for those of you who don't know Ascent, we've been around since 2008. In 2014, we actually rebranded ourselves to Ascent Solutions. Just didn't go on over the last 12 months. We've been recently awarded the the U.S. Partner of the Year for Modern Endpoint Management in February or April. I got to think when RSA was. I think it was April now I think about it. This past year, we were awarded Microsoft Security Trailblazer Award for their Microsoft Intelligence Security Alliance and also recognized by the Entra team for excellence as a systems integrator. So across Microsoft, they're recognizing the great work that we're doing for customers with Microsoft in the security space. Prior to joining Ascent, I was actually with Microsoft for nine years. So I was uh, in field sales for eight of the nine years years. And then I was in incubation for another year. And so when Andy tells a story about how we met and Josh is like, you've got to meet up with him. One of the, the fine things is coming from Microsoft for a number of years, now being in the partner space. Actually, I teach a Microsoft 101 class internal to set, but I've also taught it to new Microsoft people. Like here's what to expect. Cause at one point I was a new Microsoft person and it was 2005, but I remember Microsoft is a, you know, it's a large company. It's very complex, uses a lot of acronyms. So for those of you who haven't been in the Microsoft ecosystem, everything's an acronym and just getting your feet under you, either as a partner or somebody who works for Microsoft or as a customer. I believe when everybody speaks the same language, it just makes it easier to converse. And then prior to joining Microsoft, I've been an IT executive for a division of General Motors, for a division of Cargill, Dow Chemical. I've been with United Health Group. So sometimes I say I've been all three sides of the table. I was a customer. I worked for Microsoft and now I'm an SI and a, we got to manage services as well, but I'm also a vendor. So all three sides of the table. And then I like my kind of standard running joke. 
my undergraduate degree was actually aerospace engineering, so I did indeed study <laughs> rocket science. I actually live in the flight path of Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, and I still love airplanes, so just having them go overhead is nice. And then uh, my graduate work was in solar plasma physics. So I went from engineering to IT to sales into executive role here with Ascent Solutions. Well, I think we've been able to hear a couple of airplanes flying overhead while you're <laughs> yeah, speaking. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries. And definitely uh, MSP is one of my favorite airports for sure. So it's cool you live so close to it and great background. And, you know, we've been working with Ascent for many years now, I have. And one of the things that really differentiates them from some of the other partners is many of them are ex-Microsoft or they're ex-NSA or, or other three-letter, you know, government agencies. And, and so they bring a really interesting blend of experience, both industry experience, you know, vendor-specific experience, and bring it all together in a really holistic way where, like Howard said, they kind of speak everyone's language. And that makes it a lot easier to converse when that to me is one of the first things I always like to level set is making sure that we're using the same words to describe things so we don't confuse ourselves because the landscape's so vast today. If we kind of aren't speaking the same language, then it's really easy to lose track of what each other's trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. It's actually a big part of what we do. And we do have a lot of former military cyber warriors, a lot of people who've been on the front lines of cyber defense. And it's interesting, I get to hear from them. You know, they literally, uh, head of our innovation team, used to teach at the equivalent for the Top Gun. So the Marines have a Top Gun called MOTS-1. Used to teach cyber warfare. And they look at the cybersecurity world in the same way as a kinetic, just like a shooting war. They think about adversaries in the same way. And that infuses the way we think about things is, you know, as a company here in the U.S. or wherever, but people are trying to get your stuff. It's a battle. Every day, the bad guys and gals wake up and think, how can they get into their systems? That's their job. So we've got people who thought about it as, a, as literally a war or taking that same approach to how do we help customers protect themselves. I remember at that meeting where I met you for the first time, they also talked about Ascent as a partner and about some of the folks you had who were former military. So that was really, you know, as a veteran myself, I was kind of drawn to that. And I'm glad that you're taking advantage of you know, those skill sets that former military members bring. Yeah, definitely. And in that same vein, if you don't mind, just I'll say real quickly, but just as a sort of a little bit of a sidebar here is we also bring people from the industry in. It's everybody's problem. So we want to have people who've been in business. We want to have people who've been in the military. We want to have people who are coming at things with a totally different perspective, maybe from a completely different industry or mindset. We need that creativity on the defense. Mm -hmm. And being a defender today is extremely difficult. You said like when you were talking about it, there are people who wake up and that is your job to try to steal our information to try to get into our systems what would you say you know if you're talking about educating defenders is the number one thing that would make a defender's life easier in today's world yeah, I, whenever I pose that question, you know, because it is, it's like, how do we do this? One of the things we always talk about is what can you do to simplify what you have to do, right? Everybody's got limited resources. Everybody's got limited time. So one of the things that we believe in, well, there's a couple, one of which is people before process, before technology. I always think about that, right? You, you want to have it in that order. And when you get to the technology perspective is why are you spending your time trying to connect up a bunch of technologies when you should have your people, your processes focused on the defense? So we're very much believe in the best of platform versus best in breed because when a platform has much of that together you're not spending your time trying to link it all together and I actually heard Joy Chip who's a Microsoft CVP in the entrance space say something that really resonated with me is hackers exploit gaps in the systems right anytime there's an opportunity to find a wedge in the armor so to speak they're going to do that that's their job again that's their job they wake up in the morning or through the night or whatever it is you know they get their hoodies on I like the picture of the movies picture but like that's what they do they're like how can I weasel my way in through 
there's some, and they can find it when the systems aren't linked together well. So that's why we always say, if you can do best of platform, then what you're not doing is focusing on bringing everything together. You're not wasting time bringing the pieces together. You're spending your time making sure that they're configured right for the industry you're in, for the threats that are at your front door, and managing against the risk that your business needs to apply or needs to mitigate. It's all about risk mitigation. And so very much about best in platform. The other thing I talk about all the time, or we talk about all the time is, and I reference risk. Security is about balancing risk with the limited resources you have. One of the analogies I give all the time is, is I don't know if you have a home security system in, in your house. Uh, we do. We have the right security system for the risks that we feel. So if you've ever watched like Mission Impossible or those, you know, the movies with Ocean's Eleven or whatever, and they've got tons of laser security and they've got all that, like you could do that to your house, right? I mean, you really want to protect the assets in your house, your family. But there's a point at which you can't do it. It's either too expensive or too much overhead. So you have to balance the amount of risk that you're going to put into it. It's the same thing here. You've got to balance the amount of risk and the amount of energy that you can put into it. Again, that goes back into best of platform. When you've got limited resources, you can't do the mission impossible sort of thing. You got to say, where am I going to spend my time? And why would you spend your time linking disparate systems together when you can go with best of platform approach and then spend your time on making sure that the effort you're spending is facing towards your business, not towards trying to stitch technology together. Well, and if you think of when an attacker is trying to get in somewhere, they don't have these sort of handoffs where they say, okay, I've tried to break in through the email system. Let me go hand it off to my teammate who's now going to try to compromise the endpoint. They think of it more holistically. I'm going to start here. I'm going to pivot here. I'm going to go here. They don't think about like other than trying to evade the defenses. They don't think in terms of, well, this is one software package and this is another software package and this one is. That's solely a function of how defense has traditionally worked is taking all those boutique solutions for each different security domain. And attackers don't work that way. They pivot seamlessly as soon as they get in through one hole and this opens up this door for them, then they step through that door and pivot to this domain. And when you have all those different solutions, you have natural blind spots and gaps in visibility as those attackers pivot. And then you have to, like you said, not only stitch the solutions together, but as a defender, you have to try to follow that attack and stitch together like different logs and different events and be able to tell that story. And that's really difficult to do. And you can build that experience, but why should you have to if there's an easier way? Limited resources. You've got limited resources. If you had infinite amount of resources, maybe that's worth your while. But in limited resources, you got to determine where you're going to put them to. And that's absolutely couldn't agree more. And that's something we always like to talk about. I also like the uh, anecdotally, we were meeting with effectively a chief security architect. We were talking about the best of platform versus best of breed approach. And the comment came up about, well, you know, I have to think about, do I want to put all my eggs in one basket? And I responded with, when was the last time you bought individual eggs? When was the last time you didn't put all your eggs in one basket? Like you don't go to the grocery store 12 times to buy an egg each time to make, what you do is you've got a basket that you know can cover it and you manage your risks around, don't put the eggs at the bottom of the uh, grocery bag. You know, don't try and spin it on your finger like a basketball. It's, you treat it well, but the basket is actually now put together in such a way that makes that much more sense to be more efficient. So this is one of those funny things. Everybody talks about, you know, not sure about if I want to put my eggs in one basket. I'm like, when was the last time you didn't do that? Literally. So it's one of those metaphors I don't think works anymore. It's so true. That's a great point. Well, I will say you certainly have commonalities with us in terms of how we think about making life easier for defenders. So let's pivot a little bit here. When should customers engage a partner? So for folks like Andy, who when he came into Microsoft from Enterprise IT, hadn't done a lot with partners, wasn't really familiar like with when's the right time to engage. Like when do you see opportunities for our listeners who may work in enterprise IT or even, you know, small, medium business IT to engage with companies like Ascent? 
Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I suppose I'd start a little bit with to the person who's asking that question is know thyself. Like, why would you engage a partner? I know you asked when, but first it's why. It's like, where are your strengths and weaknesses? Where do you have needs and not have needs? So if you've got a very strong architecture team, but not a very good implementation team, right? Your when and why, it kind of goes together, I guess, when and why. When and why is based on what you need. So we've seen that before with strong architects, but they couldn't execute. So you bring in a partner, maybe to validate the architecture, make sure it's right, because you you sort of want that outside looking in, but then to actually execute it. And I've seen it flipped around too. It's just like, we don't even know where to start, but we've got a really good team over here that can march on the road. So it's it's usually a know thyself. The answer can be anywhere. Like if you don't know where to start or you need to pick up a strategy and you haven't done it before, you might want to partner them. And then the flip side is, is we've seen a lot of wonderful architects, wonderful implementers, but they could get it together so we can stitch it together from that perspective. It actually reminds me of a story that one time, this was uh, quite a few years ago, we were actually doing an exchange migration from notes to exchange online and the customer actually asked us that exact question and uh, I remember our architect handed him the gentleman that asked us this a USB drive and said this is how we do everything these are all of our instructions on how to do it it's yours if you want it the guy looked kind of incredulous like you're giving me your instructions and our architect goes yeah it's a playbook but you've never done it before do you really want to train up your people to do a migration you're only going to ever do once that hopefully you know you know where all the pitfalls are we've done it 50 100, we got hundreds of migrations under our belts, both in terms of our company, but then where we brought our talent from. So it's one of those things of you might engage a partner because you're only going to do it once. So why would you skill up for something that is a, a unique activity? You might want to, right? Know thyself. Know where you want to put your investment. Again, it's just another case of learn.microsoft.com. There's plenty of stuff out there. You can go and get certifications. You can watch a lot of YouTube videos. For those of you who recall, Microsoft used to have Soapbox. That's digging deep, by the way. Soapbox, I was trying to stay pure to the Microsoft platform since y'all work for Microsoft. But anyway, you could do that. Is that where you want to spend your limited resources? So again, it's another one of those places where why would you bring in a partner? And again, I know you asked when, but oftentimes it's why and then when. Would you do it? The two of them are together. And you see that they're both in there. And I would oftentimes start with know thyself. You know, if you've struggled with some other migrations, it's not because your people are good or bad often. It's oftentimes because it's just something that's not in their DNA. Know thyself and then know how to get around and cover for your weaknesses or your gaps or your limited resources or whatever it is. That's usually a place I'd like to start is know what you have and don't have and where you're trying to get to. That's a good place to know when to start to engage a partner. You know, your answer really resonated with me because one thing I was thinking in my mind is oftentimes my experience is customers are too hesitant to engage a partner when in reality, it would really help them in a lot of ways be more effective in their roles. And like you said, why are you skilling up on on a one-time skill? But you talked about know thyself. And if I get on my soapbox a little bit, that's something I, I would encourage our listeners to work really hard at is that not necessarily self-criticism, but like self-awareness awareness of knowing you and your team's capabilities, strengths, and weaknesses, and being really candid about them. Because one thing I've kind of been hard on in this show in the past is security defenders tend to be particularly guilty of having that know-it-all mindset instead of that learn-it-all mindset. And this is where being that learn-it-all and recognizing your gaps in, in capability, that's not necessarily a bad thing if you can know how to solve for it and know when to solve for it. So that really resonated with me both in answering kind of why I don't see my customers often enough engage with partners, but also, you know, a really good answer to the why and when. 
Yeah. It actually fits into a little bit of, uh, you know, if you are thinking about it, this is you know, the type of partner you'd want to get into is, I'll just let me pick on Microsoft for a second in a good way is, and I know this is true of your competitors of the landscape in general, but you want to see your customers succeed with your technology, right? So m- oftentimes Microsoft has, you know, I've referenced learn.microsoft.com, but there's a lot of other things that Microsoft is willing to invest in in customers to make them successful. And oftentimes those are bringing in a qualified, skilled, certified partner to come in and help them out. So so to your point, don't struggle with that decision, especially if somebody's willing to come in and say, hey, try this out. So here's a way for you to get your hands on the technology at a low risk because we, Microsoft, are willing to invest in this partner to do that. You'd be foolish not to take it, especially if you're investing in the platform or if you're investing in a specific technology. Oftentimes vendors, I know Microsoft does specifically, and I know some of your competitors do, but I also know some of your ISVs do as well, is they want to see you succeed. Nothing's worse is to have a, back when I used to sell for Microsoft, to see the customer buy it and not implement something that they want to do because they didn't know how to do it or they couldn't do it or they didn't set like then that was a failure you know I might have had hooray for me I sold it but I failed my customer because they couldn't use it and again knowing Microsoft I know that they all still think that way yeah I don't think I'm sharing anything too proprietary when I say there are a lot of people at Microsoft who are incented on customers using what they pay for using what they purchase and invest in yeah the other nice thing about partners is you talked about limited resources limited time like I've worked in enterprise IT before and we're always jumping from one fire drill to another fire drill. And if you have a project that you're trying to do and a long-term goal of like deploying something and then a fire drill comes up, it takes your attention off of that because at a company, you have a lot of things that you have to take care of. But if you engage a partner, they are specifically paid to do a single thing. They're single focused on that one project and you're paying them to do it and to take care of it. And like you said before, it's great because that one thing that they're focused on, they've probably done done a hundred times. Whereas this may be the first time. So you're trying to learn it and trying to spin up on it. And I've been in that position. I've tried to read articles and watch YouTube videos and it's hard to learn something and then do it in production and then messing up, which I've also done before. And then yep, all of a sudden you too. got people yelling at you mm-hmm. whereas okay, well now we're paying a cent or whoever to do something. And you know, if for whatever reason you guys, you know, mess up, which you wouldn't do because you know, the pitfalls, you know, like change management, how all that stuff is supposed to go which buttons are going to, you know, actually bring the environment to a halt or when you need to do a changeover of one technology to another, then that is super helpful that you don't have VPs and directors breathing down your neck because you screwed up, right? Yeah, it always comes back to the same question. It's all about risk. Where are you willing to put your risk? Risk fundamentally is a business decision, by the way. I was talking to a prospective customer the other day. He was actually the chief risk officer for a bank. His role was actually all risk. And the CISO reports to him. And I remember telling him, like, I'm so happy to hear that because security is about risk mitigation, as is, this is a bank, right? As is where you're putting your investments. It all fits into the business risk because if you have a bad set of investments, you can lose money. If you have a security gap, you can literally lose money, right? They're all risks. And so this gentleman, who's the chief risk officer, gets to decide, how am I going to move my assets around? You know, I guess I just said bank and assets. That's probably a poor term. But how am I going to use my resources to best evaluate the risk that our company can take and how to mitigate that on the financial side and how to mitigate that on the security side? Because again, not every company can be the movie Mission Impossible with all the lasers and all the other things, right? I mean, even our government struggles with it with almost unlimited resources. And, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to pick on them. It's probably a different podcast, right? 
but it's just pointing out with nearly unlimited resources and breaches have happened there too. Yeah, so we talked about when and why to engage a partner, but there's so many partners, like Ascent is one of them, and it's one of the ones that Adam and I have worked with for many, many years. But how do organizations find a good partner to work with? Like what are the, some of the qualities that a good partner might have versus you know someone they, they might not engage with? Yeah, there's a number of different ways. If you don't mind, I'm going to stay in the Microsoft ecosystem a little bit because that's where I'm at more than anything else is there's a number of different ways that Microsoft certifies a partner and that's one of the good ways to do it. If a partner has a certain set of certifications, to get a certification, they need to have proven they've got the skilling, they have the history, and they have some case studies. It's usually a good sign. You know, I don't want to make it sound like that's the only threshold, but that's a usually a pretty good indicator that that partner understands that landscape well. That's one of the top ways to do that. The other is, it is still a relationship business. I will say, you know, do they have the history? Do you trust them? It goes a long way. I don't mean to be overly simplistic on it, but make sure that they've got the stories and the history and the backup. Oftentimes can come through certifications, but at the same time, are they trustworthy overall? Another thing that's important is I referenced it a little bit earlier in the show. Does the partner know how to leverage, in this case, Microsoft on your behalf? Okay, so oftentimes when we talk to customers, we'll say, we know Microsoft has these investments. They're not always dollar investments either. They could be workshops or accelerators or tools. They know that that's out there. And I always say, in this case for Microsoft, you know, Microsoft wants to put their shoulder behind your success with me. Leverage that. Why wouldn't you, right? So another thing too is, does the partner understand, in this case, Microsoft? Do they understand the programs that are out there and can they bring them there? Because I always like to say to the customer, I want to stretch your dollar as far as I can. Limited resources. Still going to come back to limited resources. Even if you have a huge budget, it's still not infinite. So find the partners who knows how to leverage the programs that Microsoft, again, I'm going to stick in that ecosystem or whichever vendor it is, has to offer to accelerate your journey down your security path. And I will say, and sticking with that same theme on talk about what you know, and of course, we know Microsoft because that's where we're employed. Obviously, this story might be different with different vendor partner relationships. I will say at Microsoft, just one thing to clarify for our listeners is like your account team, your sales team is not incented to drive business to one partner or another. There isn't like some back alley handshake where Howard is, you know, mailing me checks if I send more business to Ascent. None of that goes on. Like just to be super clear, like, if I steer my customers to Ascent, it's because I know they do the best work. So when you ask your Microsoft account team, like, hey, we're looking to have this work done or that work done, who do you recommend? Those recommendations are genuinely pure of heart and like looking out for what's going to drive the best customer outcomes. That is 100% true. It's completely on the up and up. There's no spiffs or anything else involved, just to be super clear. Now, that might be different with other vendor partner relationships. But I can tell you from Microsoft, that's the way it works. So if you're looking for recommendations on where to go, that's a great place to start and you will get really honest feedback. Now, I would also encourage listeners and put them in a position where they can say, I don't really recommend that path. If you're like already down that path and you're like, yeah, this is our CIO's buddy from high school and and we do all their business through them. Well, then you may not through nature of relationships be able to get an honest opinion. So put it in a way in which you can get that honest feedback and and you genuinely will. And I think all of Howard's points are super relevant. You want someone who has that technical expertise. You want that strategic expertise, knowing when and how to fund things. I will say one thing that I, as an example, why we like working with Howard and the team at Ascent is because they will come to us and say, hey, did you know about this program? Nope, didn't know that because we have so many programs, so many funding methods, we can't keep track of them all. And that team like knows them better than we do. 
do sometimes. They will tell us like, here's how we can fund that work with your customer. And so talking about stretching those limited resources, when you've got a team of two different organizations who are both hyper-focused on your success and finding the best ways to fund that and make that work happen, that's a great resource for you as a customer to stretch your resources further, stretch your people, stretch your money further than it's gone. Yeah, can I add on a couple things? And being former Microsoft, I can say this as well as with exceedingly high confidence through is every year at a minimum, everybody at Microsoft has to take a business code of conduct test. And they talk about things like that, that you can't do that. Y'all might not know this, but we are actually required to take a Microsoft code of conduct as well to remain a partner. And what we did at Ascent is we actually made it mandatory for everybody in our company. Like technically only a few of us need to do it, but what we did is went the other way. And we just said, we're going to use that as our code of conduct standards as well to align that because it's it's important. The other thing, I wish that everybody would just say, hey, let's go call a cent, but they don't. There's, I will say, you know, I'll do the Pepsi challenge against any of our competitors, but we have wonderful competitors. Like there's a lot of people in the space that know their business well. For those of you old enough to remember the Pepsi challenge, I'm going to say it again. It's like, I'll still do the Pepsi challenge. Like I think so highly of our company and I think very highly of our competitors as well. And so in that space, a good partner understands what Adam just said there. And I always think of it as part of my job is to get Adam and Andy and their peers to trust us because they know that we're going to be doing the right thing for our customers. They know we're going to be doing the right things for them as well, that we're going to act with integrity, that we're going to do the best we can overall, that I'd like to say every day is sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. It's not, but just to be open and honest together. And that's, I said earlier, how do you find a good partner? It's like somebody you can trust. The same thing is true with Andy and Adam is part of the reason that we work together well is I believe we've built up that trust through doing work together. And that's something you should be looking for from a partner as well as somebody that you think the Microsoft team can trust. Again, if you're staying in the Microsoft ecosystem, system, which I'm guessing most of the people in this podcast are, is, is that trust has got to be built between all three of us, the customer, Microsoft, and obviously the partner slash Ascent. Yeah. We've talked a lot about stretching that dollar. Adam, you mentioned funding. There's a specific fund that we talk about a lot at Microsoft. And then we work with partners on it. It's called ESIF or end customer investment funds. And this was, again, something that I had no idea. I remember coming to Microsoft, having been at companies before, and then I would get emails or account teams or the sales folks would be like, Hey, we got to get some ESIF funding. And I'm like, what does that mean? I have no idea. And it is for our listeners. It is a pot of fund that Microsoft puts money in every single year. And then there are programs that change based on essentially what Microsoft wants to drive as far as business. And that funding goes to partners. So if there's something that you need to do that fits an ESIF like workload that you're trying that you're trying to deploy or test, then Microsoft will actually pay a partner to go in and do that work for you. So an example that I did at a previous company was I applied for ESA funding for a Sentinel POC. And we had a partner who was actually on the show, John Joyner with Accountability. He came in and took advantage of the ESA funding. Microsoft gave us Azure funds, paid accountability to do the whole thing for us. And we, we didn't pay a penny. So part of the issue is staying up on what's available and how to apply for that ESA funding. And I think partners like Ascent can help with that, right, Howard? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to point out though, too, is you didn't pay a penny, but you still had to invest because 
use your resources, know your business, right? It's We're all investing something at, at any given time to make it successful. And again, Microsoft is looking to put their shoulder behind, how do we make this successful? And then the partners that they trust, and trust is both, you know, the look you're in the eye trust, but also you got the right certifications, you've proven this, you're in the systems that they know will make that money best to you. So it's absolutely positively something that's wonderful. It's got to be used correctly. It's not just correctly like the correct program, but for the right purpose. And if the purpose, the funding is set aside for getting this pilot done, then you want to make sure everybody's investing right. And it can't just be, I'm going to throw the ball over to the other side of the fence and my partner's going to take care of it. I'm going to walk away. No, we've all got to be in this together. So we do that. In fact, uh, one of the things we did is we built up a team that kind of referenced that we, we know these programs is to learn the programs, understand their purpose, understand, let's all be honest, it's not a complex game. Microsoft's going to invest where Microsoft wants to move their business. If anybody's shocked by that statement, you probably need to go to like an economics 101 class somewhere. Like that's what they're going to do. And again, if Microsoft's going to do that and you're a customer, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Like that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to drive the ball forward as they see fit. It's their money to do that that way. So we try and learn all those programs as quickly as we can. We, we skill up on them. So again, when we work with Microsoft and their customers and we're working directly with our customers, we can say, oh, by the way, here's a way for you to mitigate your risk, to increase your investment that you've already put in there, either people, the software you're buying, or the projects you're working on. Here's a way to start to mitigate those risks. And again, what word do I keep coming back to? It's risk, right? It's all about risk mitigation in the right spots. And if you're doing a Sentinel project, there's risk for whatever reason. You're either moving something out or you're building something up or you're redoing it. That's a risk to the business because you're changing things around. So you want to mitigate that risk. And I don't say that negatively, right? That's just a fact of life. I don't care what you're doing. If you're painting your room, there's a risk somewhere in there, which if you're me, it usually means I'm spilling the paint somewhere, but that's still a risk I'm taking on. You know, a lot of our conversation to this point between kind of the partner and the customer and Microsoft has been kind of tactically focused on, well, there's this funding program or we can come in and do this thing. And and that's very helpful to help our, our listeners understand that. But, you know, if we kind of think more strategically, like how does a customer benefit from the partner relationship as well in some other ways? Well, it goes way back to the know thyself, right? We can help customers understand from an, an advisory perspective. I went back to people before process, before technology, all those things are true, but understand if you don't know thyself, help you know thyself. And some of the know thyself is we don't really have the resources to understand or we're not willing to invest in the platform or the roadmap. Help us build that roadmap, right? Those are all things that we get customers to do or help us, you know, I reference that we had got folks that have been on the front lines of cyber warfare is how do we use threat intelligence best to understand the risks that are coming at us so that we can put the people, process, and technology in the right spot because applying the right technology to the wrong spot doesn't do you any good either. So it spans a whole gamut from help us get started, help us understand the roadmap, help us understand the threats, help us understand the way forward. All those things are more on the advisory side versus the flip to, okay, we know we want to get started, how we do it most effectively. And the ones are strategic and they link to tactical very well. So that's one of those places where we just say we can span that board. And, and this is where now I'm going to do a little plug for a cent. But we spend our time working not just with the technology that's out there today, but helping understand where the industry is going and where Microsoft is going. And we're bringing those two together. They're not always together, but they generally are, right? Microsoft's got a good finger on the pulse of where things are going or driving it that way. So you can start to go, what what was the hockey saying is, you know, skate to where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is. But that's the same sort of things. And I used, it was accidental, but fortuitous. I talked about threat intel. It's another place where the, I think the threat intelligence landscape is changing, not necessarily because TI is changing, but I believe customers and companies in the industry starting to think about how to use threat intel better so that you are applying your limited resources to the things that matter to 
you, and if you can't tell, I usually have some sort of analogy, but the threat intel informs you of what the threats really are for you. And the, the example I oftentimes give is, we go back to home security systems. If you live in the city, you're more likely to have one kind of threat, like a human threat, and you're more likely to lock your doors in a different way than if you live out in the country, where you're less likely to worry about somebody stumbling on your house. You hear about people in the, I live in the city, but you hear about people in the country, they don't lock their doors because they're not really worried about it. At the same time, if you're hearing a, a lot of bear attacks, you live in the city, you're probably thinking that's not really going to matter for me, right? That's a threat that somebody else has to deal with. So know the threats that are around you. I'm starting to get the feeling that threat intel is getting more, and we have this opinion, so I, I'm having this opinion given to me. It's probably a better way. I'm not that smart, but thought that threat intel is a great way for you to take your limited resources and apply them to the threats that matter most to you and your industry. So manufacturing is getting hit a lot with IoT attacks or attacks on IoT. You spend more time rotating that than if you're a bank that has no IoT. Again, the threats that are important to you should get applied to manage your minimum resources. Which again, goes way back to the, why do I believe in the best of platform? Is because if your people aren't busy stitching things together, they're actually talking to your risk officers and your risk people say, where are our assets? Where are we most worried about things? So we can defend those right. And where are our threats? So we can defend against those right. That's where your people are better served, is thinking about your business, not, look at how great I was for stitching these 10 things together. I'm, I'm a magician. It's a terrible business plan, in my opinion. I went off, I think I went on three different tangents there. Uh, you all know me well enough to know that's pretty common, but. I, I follow no the problem. I'm sure I listen Bears, to it too. assets, I'm all, door, locked doors. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere today. <laughs> Well, we are coming to the end here. Let's talk a little bit about Ascent and as a cybersecurity services partner, what can you guys bring and how can you guys help out? And as well as, you know, if there's any sites or blogs that you might have that interested listeners or folks might want to reach out to you guys. Yeah, it's great. Well, first of all, check us out at meetascent.com. Meet, M-E-E-T, ascent.com. Uh, not M-E-A-T, uh, <laughs> in case you're wondering. It's not a, not a butcher shop. Meetascent.com. And on our LinkedIn page and other socials, we've got our thought leaders are constantly putting out things that they're seeing in the industry, things that they're seeing going on that you want to pay attention to. So definitely say connect up with us that way. Take advantage of the thought leadership, the intelligence that these folks are putting into that. And then as far as our company goes, I've touched on a little bit of it all about come back around so we can help our customers secure their environment we can advise them on the best ways to get there and then for those customers that need it we can help them manage it we have a managed security operations center we also have a managed cloud ops so oftentimes customers will say we don't have enough time to go through our backlogs we actually have a managed services to go through a backlog capabilities to help them knock projects off and we think about limited resources and how many things are on there we found that to be a great benefit for customers that are really struggling with getting their resources aligned in the right spots we can help with that so we can help them come back around and secure, advise, and manage our customers' security environments. Awesome. Adam, do you have any final thoughts? Well, you know, I think before we wrap up, I would be interested in hearing, Howard, did you have like any customer-specific examples of maybe, you know, a success story you wanted to share before we go? Yeah, thank you. I'd love that. Appreciate that. One I can think about is we had a large manufacturer that had a small security team and they really needed their SOC modernized. They're in the manufacturing industry, so I referenced IoT before, and they just didn't have enough resources to get things done. So we went in there, helped them with their continuous monitoring, alerting their vulnerability scans, and all 
also the backlog capabilities. So, you know, we start the podcast talking a little bit more about migrations, but in this case, it's more about keeping their head above water versus getting their head above water. Those are two different sets of activities. So in this case, it was a huge deal to make sure that their manufacturing floors could keep running. Because if you're in retail, you're specifically having brick and mortar, cash registers got to be able to ring, right? You got to be able to transact. Manufacturing, the plant floor has got to go. You know, it's got to always be working in banks. It's asset. Like everybody's got a critical vulnerability. And for them, it was making sure that the manufacturing plant could keep going. And so we're able to help them secure, keep up to date with the daily threats and make sure they can keep their head above water. And that's for us, although I did reference this being more or less of a migration, is we help them get above water first and then we help them manage it. So it was, from our perspective, it was a very fortunate case study of we got to advise the roadmap, we got to help them get you know, the security technology deployed, and then now we're helping them manage it. So thank you for uh, allowing that plug in there. But again, you can see across the board. The other thing, too, is a reference for a strong Microsoft partner. I referenced quite a few of the awards. One of the big things that we are making sure we're doing is understanding where Microsoft is going so we can bring that back to our customers, especially as they're considering investing or have invested in Microsoft. You know, they're putting those eggs in that basket. See how I brought that all back around? It's a, it's a gift I have. But bring it all back around is help them make sure that once they get secure, stay secure. And so we're an early partner for Defender for EASM, external tax surface management. We were helping the Microsoft incubation teams get that out to their customers. Early for Defender for Threat Intel. We're actually a Sentinel launch partner. We've been one of the first partners ready for enter permissions management. Point is, is that we know that it's coming out because we're working from that side and then we can get that to our customers and again, bring it all together. We can tie it with the investment programs or capabilities that Microsoft has to get customers going forward. Hopefully that's a little bit of why we consider ourselves and why Microsoft considers us one of their top partners is because of the view that we have across the entire life cycle. Well, and I don't even see it as a customer plug. I think it's just helpful for listeners to hear kind of a real world story of here's where you did engage and here's the specific ways you helped. Because it's one thing to kind of make a list of offerings. Here's a menu of things we can offer to you. But it's different to go to somebody and say, what did you have? You know, how did it taste kind of thing. And so hearing the story of how somebody made it real, I think is helpful for our listeners. And one final note I'll add, you triggered this thought in my mind, because we're actually working on this together right now, Howard, is you mentioned how you've had early stage engagement on some of the incubation security products from Microsoft, like that came over in the Risk IQ acquisition. And just as a kind of an awareness piece almost for our listeners, we hear this all the time at Microsoft. They tell us internally, like, we're going to scale through partners this year, which means we're going to have more touch points with customers through the use of partners, because our team is only so big and can only engage with so many customers in a day. And our partners are an extension of our team in so many ways in their technical aptitude, their technical depth, their ability to explain and articulate. And so you will probably see if you engage with Microsoft, more of us steering partners to bring them into conversations earlier and more often. That's been in kind of the early part of our fiscal year, definitely a noted change in in how we're going to operate and work with our customers this fiscal year. So if you see that change, if you feel that that's by design, that's intentional. And it's because we have such faith and belief in our partners and their ability to really extend our team and help our customers be successful. So I think you'll see more of that as well. Yeah, it goes to that. Another thing you brought up too is, you know, what would a good partner look like? And each customer has to evaluate what they want to do. One of which is if I want to stay current, which I know sounds kind of silly, but if I want to stay current, I want to find a partner who's ready to queue me up there. If it's uh, I just need to migrate and I'm going to take it on myself, you know, that's a know thyself sort of a thought. Well, and we talk on this show a lot about things where sometimes Andy and I feel like we're screaming into the void on a couple of things like modern endpoint management, modern device identity as an example, moving to Azure AD join, Intune management. And we can 
can go to customers till we're blue in the face and say, you really need to do this. And there's a little bit of, yeah, well, you're wearing the blue badge. So of course you're going to say that. But when a partner comes in and says, hey, we've looked at your environment. We've kind of watched the landscape. We've read the tea leaves. And we can tell you like, this is something you need to do this year or the next year. Like this needs to be on your priority list moving forward. That resonates a lot. And, and I think you spoke to that is that's one of the many things you can do is that advocacy and advisory role is help customers understand where to prioritize. And maybe almost, you've heard the phrase like Kremlinology, like translating the, the bits and pieces that come out of the, the Russian government, maybe like Redmondology is helping our customers like... <laughs> I say Microsoftese. We speak Microsoftese very yeah. fluently. And I used to coach my son in baseball and football. And as his dad, if I said, hey, when you're on first base, get your butt down and be in the ready position. He's like, whatever, dad. And then the other coach would come mm-hmm. over and say the exact same thing. He's like, okay, coach. I'm like, <laughs> I just said that. Like, yep. Sometimes yep. you just need somebody that's not your parent to tell you that, I guess. Right. Exactly. Well, Howard, again, thank you for taking the time to record with us. It was awesome having you on the show. So thanks for taking the time and sitting with us and talking about it. It's my honor. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great work with y'all. And we look forward to, for those of you who speak Microsoft Tees, a wonderful FY24 together. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for watching and listening as always. If you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about in the future, please contact us with our contact information, which will be in the show notes. Thanks. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Blue Security Podcast. Please check out the show notes, catch up on episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Find Andy on Twitter at AJawZero and Adam at AJ Brewer. See you at our next episode.